0: Joseph named his second son Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. Shout amen. amen. Please be seated. Because we're doing this series on dreams, we thought it would be appropriate to remember him by going back to that moment and to remember the words that he shared. And so our own brother Andre Woods is going to help us with that. Celebrate as he comes forward.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Let us not wallow in the valley of despair, I say to you today, my friends. So, even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. That my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Oh, I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama, with its vicious races, with his governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification, One day, right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. Every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plains and the crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is the faith that I go back to the south with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, Will be able to sing with new meaning. My country, tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride, from every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring from the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire. Let freedom ring from the mighty mountains of New York. Let freedom ring from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the curvaceous slopes of California. Oh, but not only that. Let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and molehill of Mississippi. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And when this happens, and when we allow freedom to ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics will be able to join hands and sing in the words of that old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last.
0: Come on, let's give God another hand. Praise. Wasn't that awesome? Praise God. That's amazing. For those of you who are just joining us, uh, uh, the messages over the last few weeks essentially have tried to make uh, three basic points. The first is that God has a god-sized dream for everybody. A dream like that for everybody. Second is that when God gives us that dream that it will always require God's participation and our participation and it always moves towards the needs of others. And if you've missed those uh, messages, I encourage you to go back to our website and pick those messages up. Uh, today, I want to focus on the journey of a big dream. Everybody shout journey. journey. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, my concern and what I'm trying to deal with in this message is that God gives us all dreams. And some of us might uh, discern the dream, start off pursuing the dream, but because We are unfamiliar with the journey of pursuing a big dream. When we run into some major obstacles, we give up. But God doesn't want us to give up when we're pursuing His dream. So I want to back into it this way. I want to essentially talk a little bit about Dr. King, and I want to talk about Moses. Uh, You who are familiar with the story of Joseph know. That at the end of that story, his father and family came to Egypt. His father was named Jacob. Jacob's name was turned, changed to Israel. And the people of Israel remained in Egypt. And Exodus opens up by saying that there came a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. And the people of Israel ended up being in slavery for four generations. And God would raise up Moses at 80 years old. Everybody say 80. And overtake him once again with a dream to deliver the people. Now, um, most of you may not know that when I was in undergraduate school, I majored, double majored in philosophy and history. And uh, I spent a number of my years uh, in school drawn to, inspired by, and studying everything I could get my hand on as it relates to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And I was blessed because at Gramlin State University, there was a fellow there by the name of Mr. Robert Williams, who was the head of our music department, but he had also been a dear friend of Dr. King. He had been his uh, bodyguard and driver, and they were very close. And, and Mr. Williams would invite me over to his home, and we He shared stories with me, and I got to see some of the wonderful mementos that he had. And on one occasion, Dr. Ralph Abernathy, who was Dr. King's closest lieutenant and best friend, came to speak at Gramlin, and and Mr. Williams uh, was kind enough to invite me to come over to spend some time with him and Dr. Abernathy. However, everybody say, however, (laughs) I was in love and dating at the time, Rhonda. And, and I passed up the opportunity because I had a date. Now, I sure do love my wife. <laughs> but if I had to do that all over again, I wouldn't pass that opportunity up. <laughs> but Dr. Abnab, said in that uh, visit that one of the great fears that Dr. King had was that People would put him on such a high pedestal that they would assume that what happened with him was because he, Dr. King, was so extraordinary and it did not apply to them. It would not apply to us. But what Dr. King longed for was for people to recognize that really he was an ordinary person caught up in the hand of an extraordinary God. And that extraordinary God can do with any ordinary person what he did with Dr. King. And one of the places where this is most true is in the place of what does the journey of pursuing a big dream like Andre shared, reminded us of that Dr. King shared in 63. What does that journey look like? And I want to argue that that journey looks basically the same for any of us who are pursuing a dream. So the first thing that I suggest that's in the journey, everybody shout the journey, Journey. is that we have to identify what is the big dream. I'm saying that God gives a big dream for every time, every season, every age, every stage of our lives. What's your big dream? And part of identifying that is for you to discover your burning bush. What's unique about the story of Moses is that uh, the verse 1 of chapter 3 starts off by saying that Moses, in a sense, breaks his regular routine and he goes deep. Everybody shout deep. deep. He goes deep into the wilderness until he comes to the Mount Sinai, which is the Mount of God. And that's where he finds this bush that is aflamed. He's amazed by it. As a matter of fact, scholars tells us that in that part of the of the world that there are these bushes that will catch on fire but because of the fluid that runs through their limbs that they they can burn a long time without burning up and so this 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 flaming bush caught his attention and in verses two to four he's amazed and he says I need to go a little closer and take a closer look at it last week I told you that in identifying your dream uh in a sense you need to look Deeply and try to figure out what's your burning bush, what's your passion, what's the flame in your life. It begins with asking God, time of prayer and discernment. But it also moves to asking other people who know you and how do you, what do you think we're, I'm on the planet. And, 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 and all the while you're trying to uncover, where's the flame at? Everybody shout flame, flame, flame. flame. Uh, perhaps you might want to go back to your childhood and think about some of those childhood dreams that you ultimately walked away from. That maybe when you were a child you were dreaming of being a police officer or a president or an or a, a electrician, a plumber, a teacher, a principal, or whatever the case might be. Don't just think of the job description, but try to get behind the job description and ask the question, what, what was the flame there? What was the flame? It requires us to do some deep work sometime to discern the tree. Now what's fascinating about Dr. King's life uh, is that I think that the flame began to burn around uh, issues of racial justice when he was about five or six years old. He, he tells this story and actually Coretta also chronicles this story in her book about him that he had a uh, a, a really good friend who was a white boy lived close to him, and they played together every day until he was about five or six or seven years old, which placed it around 1934, 1935. And one day he came out to play with his friend. They used to wrestle in the yard, be over each other's house. One day he went over to his friend's house to get him, and the friend wouldn't come out. And so a few more days, every day, he'd go to his friend's house, knock on the door to get him, and there'd be one excuse after the next, after the next. And so finally, Dr. King said to his mother, I don't understand why my friend Johnny won't come out and play with me anymore. And his mother gave him the talk that many mothers had to give to their children during that, that season. She put him on her lap, and she said, Martin, uh, what has happened is that your friend has come to an age where he realizes his, that he's white, and you're black. And his parents won't let you, him play with you anymore. And then she proceeded to say, but I don't want you to be broken spirit by this because I want you to know that you are, Martin, you are just as good as anybody. But I believe it was then, right then, in that moment, when the flame of racial justice began to burn in him. And you can basically hear that, In the I Have a Dream speech when he says, you know, I have a dream that down in Alabama, little black boys and little black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and little white girls as sisters and brothers. You see the connection between the flame that started to burn way back then and how it surfaces in this dream. What's your burning bush? What's your flame? That's the first question. You have to identify the flame. Secondly, if you're going to pursue a God-sized dream in your life, you just absolutely have to. Everybody say, "I have to." Tell the person next to me he's talking to you. I right, tell him you have to. Tell him you have to leave your comfort zone. You cannot pursue a God-sized dream and stay in your comfort zone. You just can't do it. Now, Moses had been... Uh, you know, the story is the first 40 years he was raised in Egypt in the house of Pharaoh. He found an Egyptian misusing, mistreating a Hebrew. He killed the Egyptian, buried him in the sand. Later, he, uh, 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 he had to flee found the Midianites, Jethro married his daughter, and for the next 40 years, he was there as a part of Jethro's family. For 40 years. For 40 years, he was around the same people. For 40 years, he was involved in the same set of relationships. For 40 years, he, he was engaged in the same routine. For 40 years years. For 40 years, his expectations were shaped by the same set of behaviors. For 40 years, his understanding of his past failures and successes was shaped for 40 years. The 40 years with Jethro became his place of comfort. It was his comfort zone. It was what was familiar to him. It was where he felt safe. It was where he felt that he understood enough to kind of be in control of his life. That's your comfort zone. The place that's familiar, that feels safe. Here's the problem. Whenever God gives a God-sized dream, he always places it outside of your comfort zone. You have to leave your comfort zone in order to... Let me just give you a couple of quick insights here. Number one, uh, you know, as the text that we read earlier says that God will make you fruitful in the land of your grief. There's one insight to note is that sometimes our grief can become our comfort zones. That we can become so comfortable, so familiar with the grief that comes from a divorce, with the grief that comes from a death, that, that that's where we want to stay. We don't want to move beyond that place of grief. Sometimes, anger can become your comfort zone. That you're going to stay in this place of anger. You're afraid to leave the place of anger because beyond that is the, is the unknown. Sometimes, unanswered questions about God becomes your comfort zone. Now let me just suggest this to you. Never allow what you don't know about God to keep you from acting on what you do know about God. This was, this was a story that, uh, that Dr. King knew personally in terms of his Comfort zone. Everybody shout comfort zone. zone. Ask the person next to you, uh, what's your comfort zone? Ask them. See, we all got a comfort zone, don't we? We all have a comfort zone. Dr. King had a comfort zone. He, because of his intellect, skipped several grades. And by the time he was 15 years old, he was a freshman at Morehouse College. But most of his life, he had been kind of chased and challenged by this, this notion that he was going to become a preacher, pastor. His father was a great preacher and pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church. His grandfather was a preacher and pastor. But Dr. King didn't want anything to do with preaching and pastor. By the way, let me just say, most preachers and pastors that I know who have any idea what it means to be a preacher and pastor resist with every ounce of puss. of of energy within us not to go that way. (laughs) Just a (laughs) side. You find somebody excited about, they just don't know. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, I don't want to do this. Right? So, he's at Morehouse College, 15 years old, running as far away from, from preaching as he can. So, he's known for, some of you may recognize this term, he's known for the zoot suits that he used to wear. Every day, had a different soup for each, each day. Uh, he was known for the partying that he did. He was known for all the girlfriends that he had. And in the midst of all that, he had a C plus average. Barely. As to be expected. Part, Dr. King's part of why he said he was running, he didn't want to be preaching, was because in his estimation... Uh, the preaching that he encountered in the, in the Baptist church that he grew up in, well, he, he called it high emotion with no intellectual substance. And he said that that had to be his... Pre- and here's what he meant. He meant that the preachers of his day was focused on how to make people shout in the pews. All right. Now, if Dr. King was here, I'd challenge him a little bit with that. Because let's be cautious before we minimize the value of some things. So if you were African American, you lived in that day. I mean, you couldn't look a white person in the eye. If you were passing them on the street, you had to close your, duck your head and get off the way. You had to go to a black only uh, water fountain, bathroom, school. You went to a restaurant. You had to go around the back to get your food. You had to sit at the back of the bus, and so repeatedly, multiple times a day, you were you were handed out injustice against injustice against injustice and assault on your dignity. So if you could get to church on Sunday and find a reason to shout, that was a big thing, y'all. That was a big. Thing and matter of fact, some of us we know that experience, right? Our week has been so tough. If I could just get to church and find a reason, so right. let's not minimize that so often. I understand the point with Dr. King saying. He says, "Well, high emotion, though." But it was Dr. Benjamin Mays who was the president of Morehouse College, brilliant uh, figure in his own right, preacher leader who modeled for Dr. King and. And uh, this notion that you can, in fact, uh, preach at such a level that folk will shout on Sunday, but also think differently Monday through Friday. And Dr. Mays, along with some others, looked in Dr. King and saw in him this preacher saw in him this powerful prophetic figure and, they, and and he began to pull it out and he began to convince him and began to persuade him. And so listen, some of you are like Dr. Mazes. Uh, you're already on, involved in the unfolding and the pursuit of your own big dream. You got that. Well, Also, like Dr. Mays, I challenge you, then look around you and find some other people who are struggling with what their dreams are and help them to discern what is it that God is calling them to do and help pull it out of them. There's a role for each of us to play. And so he persuaded Dr. King and at some point Dr. King surrendered. And when he was 18 years old, he was ordained. As a preacher of the gospel, we set the trajectory for the rest of his life. We had to break his comfort zone, push beyond his unanswered questions so that God could use it. So, number one, you got to identify the big dream if you're going to embark on the journey. Number two, you got to be prepared to leave your comfort zone. Number three, You've got to be willing to face your fears. Tell the other person that you didn't talk to a moment ago, I have to figure out how to face my fears. Tell them. (laughs) If you're not willing to face your fears, you can't pursue the dream. Now, we see this notion of fear in Moses' story, right? Because in chapter 3, verse 10, God essentially says to Moses, speaks to him out of the burning bush. You know, once you find the flame, you can sense, hear God's call on your life, right? And God speaks to Moses, and and he essentially says to Moses at the end of verse 10, he says, look, I've chosen you. I want you to go, and I want you to uh, 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 go before Pharaoh, and I want you to lead the people of Israel. Out of egypt and moses first response a couple of verses later uh is is essentially this who am i to appear before pharaoh who am i to lead the people everybody say who am i, who am I? That, that that statement reveals that the struggle of fear within moses had a lot to do with this feeling of of being unworthy unworthy of the dream that God had overtaken him with and you know I'm sure that Moses was thinking about 40 years ago he killed that guy buried him in the sand left the fugitive and 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 this notion like like he's unworthy to go back and stand before Pharaoh not unlike many of us right we've all done some things that we regret we some of us have been a part of initiating some pretty tragic chapters in our lives all of us have done some things that uh, when we look back, we just say, man, I was just crazy, right? we all been there. But some of us are holding on and we forget the good news of the gospel that is in First John chapter uh, uh, 1-7 when, when, when he says, if you confess your sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all. Everybody say all. all. How much is All. It's all 'all. (laughs) y'all. And you're allowing something from 10 years ago or 5 years ago or or, or, or 20 years ago to undermine God's call in your life now. Don't do that. The second expression of fear in Moses' life comes uh, when... Moses in chapter 4, verse 10. Uh, so, and, and you, 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 this ought to be familiar to some of us. <laughs> Moses is finding excuse after excuse after excuse. You read chapter 3 and 4. He just keeps coming up with excuses. And basically what he's saying is, God, you, you, you just got the wrong person. Like, God, I know you, God, but you missed it on this one. God, I think you know everything, but obviously you do not know me. So he says in chapter 4, verse 10, he says, look, God, I don't talk well. You know, I, I, I mingle my words. I, I, I've never been able to talk well, as though God didn't know. Nope. <laughs> this, is, this is Moses' way of saying his, the manifestation of the fear that says, I'm not able. I'm not equipped.'" I don't have what it takes. The first fear is I'm not good enough. The second fear is I just don't have what it takes. I'm too old. I don't have what it takes. I don't have the eloquence. I don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes. So here's some homework for you. I challenge you. When you go home, you think about whatever the big dream is that you're not pursuing or that you've put down. I want you to figure out what are the things that I'm afraid of. Write them down then I want you to ask yourself the question, am I afraid because I feel like I have to do this by myself? See, because in response to each of those fears, God said in chapter 3, verse 12, he said, but I'll be with you. He said in chapter 4, again, verse 12, I'll be with you. Here's the good news, guys, that when God gives you a big dream, he doesn't leave it Solely up to you to achieve it. He's going to show up and he's going to do the heaviest of the lifting. Trust God. So you look at this journey, and you, you got to face your fears. Well, did Dr. King have some fears? By all means. You know, after he got clear about his call and surrendered, some of us got to surrender, right? Then he went on and finished. Morehouse, remember he had a C-plus average there. But then he went to Distinguished Seminary, Crozer Seminary, and he graduated from there with a 4.0. Clarity makes a difference. And then he left there and went to Boston University and earned a PhD in philosophy. Met and married Coretta Scott King. Met at 12th Baptist Church in Boston. And then accepted a call to Pastor Church, Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery. And there he was uh, when... Uh, he, was, he was elected uh, as the president of the movement that happens. See, Rosa Parks, some of you remember, December 1, 1955, decided not to give up her seat on a segregated bus, sparked a protest, and that turned into the Montgomery Improvement Association. They needed to elect somebody. So now, what Martin says when he writes about this in his own book called Strive Towards Freedom is a really wonderful way he writes about it. Essentially, what he says is, When he went to that meeting, he didn't know that there had been a meeting before the meeting. (laughs) See, there had been a meeting before the meeting. And some of the guys said, who are we going to put forward? And they had already decided that Dr. King was going to be the person that they were going to put forward. Uh, He was young. He was new. He had the least amount of enemies in the place. And if the whole thing went bad, well, (laughs) at least it's not a standing. You know, they had all this thinking. So the next thing he knew was somebody said, uh, I move that Dr. MLK will become the president. Somebody said, I second it. And the guy who was leading says, all in favor, say aye. I said aye. He's like, what happened? was <laughs> like, what just happened? <laughs> Two weeks, t- several weeks earlier, he had just turned down the opportunity to be president of the NAACP. And he said, had he had an opportunity to think about it, he would have turned that one down. But God knows how to mess with us. So he said, yeah, took on the responsibility. Here's the point about fear. Shout fear. Fear. Several weeks in, he comes home late after mass meeting. They were having meetings once a week, packed places, worship, driving the movement. And he came home. His wife was asleep. His his baby girl, they call Yogi, Yolanda, was asleep. He got a phone call about 12.31 in the morning. He said that the voice on the other side was the most vicious, hate-filled voice he had ever heard. He said, since the voice said, King, call him a horrible name, you have 24 hours to pack up and get out of town. If you don't, that pretty little wife of yours and the little baby, we're going to kill them. And hung up. He said he was rattled, shaken to his core. He couldn't go back to bed. Couldn't go to bed, actually, because he hadn't been there. He couldn't go to bed, so he said he, he, he walked into the kitchen, made a cup of coffee, trembling literally, trying to figure out how he could diplomatically get out of his leadership role. And he said when he sat down at the table... Now, prior to this, Dr. King's theology had been pretty philosophical and really abstract but you know i really like this story because because if you walk with god enough and if you live long enough there comes a time when you just gotta know god for yourself and and he said that he sat down at the table and he put his hands in his his head in his hands and he just began to pray he said right then his philosophical concepts didn't help him at all he started to call on the God of his father, the God of his grandfather, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he said, he was saying, God, I, I'm in trouble. God, I'm, I'm afraid. I don't, I don't know what to do. And he said he heard a voice, uh, 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 the, the divine just rose up in him in a quiet but, but but powerful way. He said, stand up, Martin, stand up for truth, stand up for righteousness and lo, I'll be with you. All the days of your life. And he said he began to feel the fear dissipate. And from that day forward, he moved forward. That's how he got to 1963, despite all the death threats. Y'all, here's the best. Here's the, here's the point right here. When you face fear, don't lean into the fear. Lean into your faith. here's a misconception. Let me give you a couple misconceptions. Here's the first misconception. If I've got a big dream and if I've got big fear, obviously God didn't give me the big dream. Shout misconception. Dr. King had big fear. If God has given you a big dream, it means you've got to leave your comfort zone. And when you step beyond One of the ways you know you're exercising faith is you have big fear. Big fear. Here's the second misconception. Second misconception is this. Uh, I need to wait till the fear leaves. Then I can start my dream pursuit. No. Shout misconception. Misconception. You know what? A lot of people don't know about Dr. King. After he moved beyond that period, as his responsibilities continue to increase, death threats continue to increase every day, every week, hundreds of death threats coming in. But how many of you know that courage is not moving forward in the absence of fear? Courage is moving forward despite fear. And so he kept moving forward, he kept moving forward. What a lot of people don't know is that he had uh, these, these hiccup spells. And he would just have these hiccup attacks and they would last for 20, 25 minutes or 30 minutes. They would be violent. They would be just horrendous. And ultimately, the doctor diagnosed and said that th- those, those hiccup attacks was coming from, from his, his suppressing his fear in order to move forward. But Dr. King had decided, I know God is with me and I'm not going to let anybody, including fear, turn me around. That's the tenacity you got to have when you're pursuing God-sized dreams. Everybody shout, fear. fear. You've got to face your fear. And then the last point, and I'm going to pick up on this next week. So I have enough time next week, I'm going to pick up and, and, and finish this whole characteristics of the journey. So be sure you come back next week. Tell the person next to you, come back next week. Tell them and remind me to come back next week. Tell them. <laughs> All right. So in order, in order, in order to, to, to engage the journey, I've got to identify what the dream is. I've got to leave my comfort zone. I've got to be prepared to face and confront my fears on a regular basis. And then uh, I need to expect opposition. Now, here's the deal when it comes to expecting opposition. First of all, you need to know that when God gives you a big dream, it disrupts life around you. Now, many of us, when we think about expecting opposition, uh, and we learn this most, you know, we expect opposition from enemies. We're surprised, however, when we encounter opposition from folk who are close to us. We see this in Moses, right? In uh, Exodus chapter 4, uh, verse 1, Moses essentially says, uh, if you send me back, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't accept my word about who sent me? Now Moses had good reason to make this argument. Because if you read Acts uh, uh, chapter uh 7, 25, you'll find that that whole pericope begins with a commentary on Moses. And a couple of verses up, it talks about how Moses had killed the Egyptian, buried him in the sand. And then when it gets to this verse, look what this verse is. It says, Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. What does that mean? That means that probably in that first 40 year period, Moses had been trying to organize the Israelites, but they resisted, they rejected his effort. Now, here's a little insight. I think this is very important. It is possible to receive a God sized dream, but to try to execute it in the wrong time. And so God comes back 40 years later and he says, I want you to go execute. And Moses said, no, I've been down that road before. And I'm going to go tell him now that you sent me. And God has said, hey, I've got got—I'm giving you the dream and I'm telling you it's the right time. And I can imagine Moses imagining the voices that he was going to run into when he got back there. You know, first was the voice. I'm sure he was imagining the voice. Uh, uh, of the alarmist who was going to say it's not safe Moses you're going to end up getting us all killed you're going to die and going to get everybody else killed going up to Pharaoh talking about li- my- 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 are you kidding uh, the voice of the traditionalist I'm sure uh, he was expecting to hear uh, who essentially said well wait a moment you're going to go tell Pharaoh let us go right yeah uh, where's your army where's your weapons Uh, 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 Moses, listen, you just don't walk into Pharaoh's court and say, I'm Moses. God said, let the people go. Do you know he's the most powerful man? Look, we've been at this for four generations, telling you that's not going to work. That's not how we do it around here. Or it can't work. Or I'm not going to let you go. Do that. Which one of those voices are you hearing? You're hearing a voice, it's not safe, it's not done this way, it can't be done. Sometimes they come from within us. Now you have to balance that against. Other voices that are really real points of accountability. And so I, I want to raise that, make sure that you think about that. But, but, but the, the basic point I'm trying to make today is that when you're pursuing a, a, a really a God-sized dream, don't be surprised when people who are close to you oppose you. Kind of part of the journey. Well, Dr. King understood this very well, right? Because when he got ready to accept the call to go to Dexter uh, Avenue Baptist Church, his father confronted him and opposed him and said, don't go to that church. Don't take that church. That church is a, is a, is eats up preachers. Don't go there. But he pushed past and went anyway. And had he listened to his father, he wouldn't have been at Dexter Avenue when that meeting took place. He wouldn't have been in a position for them to elect him as president. He wouldn't have been in a position for the trajectory that would raise him from Montgomery to Washington, D.C., so that the world could hear about a dream that he had. He would have missed it. Some of you recall that in the late 50s, about 57, uh, Dr. King was stabbed uh, by an African-American woman. Letter opener says that it was so close to his iota that had he sneezed, he would have drowned in his own blood. Some of you may not recall that about 1963 in Birmingham, that uh, the clergy in Birmingham released a public letter, the leading clergy saying that Dr. King was wrong for being there, that his theology and practices was wrong. These This is clergy people. (laughs) My my point is, you have to expect people that you would prefer to rely on that sometime opposition will come from there. But all the good news is that if you're pursuing a God, and I'm going to end here, if you're pursuing a God-sized dream, Yes, there will be opposition, but yes, God will also raise up people who will catch that vision and go with you. I mean, when when, when Moses went back and told Jethro, his father-in-law, he thought he was going to have a fight, Jethro said, no, you got my blessing, go. When he got to Israel and had a conversation with the elders, he thought that they they would reject him, but the elders affirmed and embraced him and went with him. And for Dr. King, you know... Uh, with the first big meeting he oversaw there was 5,000 folk who showed up in that meeting and over the course of the next 13 years tens of thousands of people black and white and women and men across religions Christians and Jews and 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 Islam and all these other different faiths came along to march with him and walk with him and when you find him standing Beneath the Lincoln Memorial, there is 250,000 plus people across race and class and ethnicity and faith, all standing there with him. My point is simply this: Just pursue the dream, and God will raise up the folk that He has called to join you on the journey. All right, let me. Let me me end it here. I'm I'm in my classic preaching mode now. Just two or three closing points, right? (laughs) (laughs) But I promise I'm going to close after this. (laughs) Everybody say, everybody say, everybody say, God moment. God God moment, God moment. moment. You know, there comes a point where it doesn't matter how brilliant you are. It doesn't matter how many resources you have. That if you are pursuing a God-given dream, there comes a moment There comes a time when you need a God moment. A God moment is when God overtakes the experience. And God does something that only God can do. Most people may not realize that when Dr. King got to the part that Andre shared with us today, that wasn't written in the script. It didn't exist there. Matter of fact, you watch him on the screen, he looks up. He doesn't look down because it was not in. They had prepared the speech all night, him and a team. That wasn't there. What was there, some of the most memorable stuff that we don't remember as much, I mean, uh, you know, it was what was in the speech was that Dr. King said that, uh, that the founders of this country had presented the Negro people, they didn't just call African American. they called Negro people, with a bad check. What was there was him saying, but we refuse to believe that the, 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 the vault of justice is bankrupt. But we don't talk a lot about that, but that was there. What was there was, Dr. King says, we must not let our creative protests degenerate into violence. But again and again, we must rise to the majestic help, uh, majestic heights of meeting, soul f- uh, of meeting physical force with soul force that was there we don't talk we don't quite remember that uh... what was there was he says that the american negro would never be satisfied as long as the negro in mississippi could not vote and the negro in new york felt that he had nothing for which to vote, sound like some of us today but we don't quite remember that but what we remember wasn't even in the speech, why? Because when he got to that part, the power of God came upon him, y'all ain't listening and the power of God began to stir his imagination and he reached back and pulled something that he'd been working on for several uh, speeches earlier and he began to share with America a dream that he had had, that's a God moment and when we look at this congregation so many years later and we hear him say in that dream speech part that wasn't there that I dream of the day when the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners can sit together at the table of brotherhood he couldn't really quite imagine where we're sitting here today black and white and Asian, Latino, Republican and Democrat come on now good God he's pulled us all into this dream thing y'all God is a good God you know if you're uniquely part of this congregation you're part of the unfolding of that dream and it's hard work to be a part of. It's hard to, to, to show up on Sunday and sit with people who are not quite, who are not like you. It's hard to show up in a small group and open up your heart and begin to share with people who are different from you. And yet, that was the dream that God put in his heart. That is the dream that God is unfolding. That is a dream that we are helping to deliver. Wow. Isn't that amazing? And next week I'm going to talk about um, our own dream for this church. But I, I, I just tell you, as I close here, for the last time, promise. <laughs> you know, we dreamt of this remarkable church reaching tens of thousands of people. And what we learn as we think about the journey of a dream, that any God-sized dream, it's not an easy dream. You run up against obstacles. You run up against difficulty. But I'm reminded today that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. I'm reminded today that God has made us conquerors in Jesus Christ. I'm reminded today that if God starts a dream, he'll finish a dream. Say amen. I'm finished. Come on, guys. Come on, ladies. Yeah, come on. Come on, let's sing. Let's leave here. Uh, Here's your connection card. I want you to look at the next steps on the front That I hope you say yes to Jesus and all those next steps. But then I want you to look under the response to the message. And under the response to the message, uh, you know, thinking about what I've said, thinking about the dream, uh, that God has put in you and the journey that's potentially in front of you. I hope you're prepared to write this. Drop to put it on the screen. I hope you. I hope you can find the faith and the courage to simply write these words. You know, you God, I, I I'm. A, I'm a, I get it. I'm a little. I'm. I'm a lot afraid, uh, but I I, I. I. I want the journey. And so, if that's you, you simply write, God. I'm ready. Let's go.